0: It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is going on, everyone? Yes, we are finally here the very first inaugural episode of Destination Dynasty. I am your gracious and very thankful host, uh, Scott Connor at Charles Chill FFB. And just absolutely elated uh, to be here for the launch of the new show. Uh, big shout out to Ray and all the people at the Destination Devi team that have allowed me this opportunity and this platform uh, to kick something off that I'm absolutely excited to get going. Uh, and I'm here to talk a little bit about what the show is going to be, the structure, all of that. I've gotten a lot of questions over the last couple weeks uh, since I decided to end my old show, which is Dynasty and Chill, and that's where a lot of people know me from. Uh, Ask me, is this just going to be an extension of Dynasty and Chill? What's the show going to be like? What's the format going to be like? Uh, so I'll kind of address that as we get going. Uh, but just wanted to shout out again, the whole team, thankful for the opportunity, absolutely elated and excited to get started uh, we'll just get right into it. You know, tonight is going to be a little bit of a storytelling, uh, a little bit about you know where I came from, uh, how the show came about, what it's going to be all about. Uh, we did get a lot of people that have reached out to me and said, you know what, this show needs to be on YouTube. You know, I want you to do this show as a live stream, and I, I'm absolutely happy to do that. That's something that I want to incorporate. Uh, still working out the logistics, but that's going to be something that we are going to do. Uh, What I plan to do is, definitely in the off-season, I plan to go live every single week with the show, or at least most weeks. Probably going to end up doing a couple shows that are a little bit different, so they won't necessarily be a live stream. But I plan to go live for the most part during the off-season for that reason. Sunday nights, since this show is normally going to drop first thing Monday mornings, Sunday night is really difficult for it to get off the ground Uh, On a Sunday night, during the Sunday night football game, there's so much to digest. Uh, I honestly don't think it's one of the best times to do content. A lot of people record their shows on Sunday nights. Uh, hasn't really ever been my thing. So it's not going to be a great time to do live streaming during the season. So I can't promise you that that's going to happen constantly. We'll have to figure out, you know, when I'm going to do it. If we're going to do a live stream, it may be sometime else during the week. And then as always, the podcast will post on Monday morning on the destination Devi feed. So let's just get started. Let's go into a little bit about myself, how I got here, and kind of just where this show is going to go. Like I said, I had a lot of people reach out to me and said, you know what, is this just going to be a Dynasty and Chill show? So Dynasty and Chill uh, was my podcast I started back in 2019. It went on for three seasons, uh, over three years of content on Dynasty and Chill, 138 episodes. Uh, when this opportunity came up, when Ray and I, Ray and I have talked about this for a long time in the works, and once I knew it was ready to go, I decided it's time to end Dynasty and Chill, put it on ice, and then we'll see where the future goes with the feed. But for now, uh, it's going to be ended. A lot of people have asked me about my Patreon. So I have a Patreon. It's been going for two and a half years. Really, really close-knit community. Patreon.com slash Dynasty and Chill. Uh, And that will not change at all. So everything over there, that's where I do all of my bonus content. Anything you get on this feed is also going to be posted on that Patreon feed and then a lot more. We do a lot of stuff during the season in terms of bonus content, so you can find that all on the Patreon. None of that will change. Nothing will change uh, with America's Game, which is the other show that I host with Eric Vanek on this feed. Um, I will still host that with Eric Vanek. Uh, There may be times where Eric has another co-host on every once in a while, uh, but I'll still be hosting that with Eric. And then I have another venture, uh, Dynasty Trades in 5, which is strictly a YouTube channel that we do do live streaming and trade shows and a lot of other content on that. And that is at Trades in 5 on YouTube. So check that out as well. Uh, But so this show, you know, what is this going to be about? You know, when Ray approached me and said, you know what? We need a flagship Dynasty show for the channel. I had to think about it a little bit because, you know, Dynasty and Chill for me was born out of me just being a Dynasty player, you know, on Twitter Everything I talk about is usually in the lens of a Dynasty player. I am a portfolio player. I play in a lot of leagues. I play the numbers. I play the odds. I like football. I like watching football. But everyone kind of knows that's the approach that I take. And that's where a lot of my advice, that's where a lot of my ideas, you know, that's where they're born from. And I started playing Dynasty back in 2013. And I played for four years at least, before I even thought about ever joining any sort of group or ever making any sort of content. I never got into this to be a content creator ever. And I think this is a common story for a lot of content creators. They never got into this to be a content creator specifically, but they might've been a consumer of content. You know, they might've seen a lot of other people making content. They go, you know what, I'm going to start absorbing that. So that's what I did. I mean, I listened to one of the things that I think I am known for is I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to probably 80 to hundred hours worth of podcasts per week and I listen to them on 3x speed, everything from dynasty to fantasy to NFL uh, to other sports related things. I do have a little bit of content that's not sports related, but for the most part, I am literally jamming in every single fantasy football, dynasty fantasy football, NFL related podcast that I can on 3x speed constantly, all the time. In my ear, almost 24-7, I go to bed listening to it and I wake up listening to it all day during the work, commute back and forth to work, driving around the house, doing chores. I always have a podcast in my ear, pretty much. And so, you know, I had heard a lot of content for years while I was playing fantasy football, while I was playing Dynasty. And so finally in 2017, uh, I decided, you know what, I'm going to start looking around for other places to get into different leagues. So I started getting into more leagues, found some on Twitter, found some on different forums, football guys forum, DLF forums, found some other leagues in there, started to expand. Everything I was playing before was on Yahoo and on ESPN. I finally found my fantasy league back in 2016, started a league on there, and it just grew. And I'll have to give a shout out to Ryan McDowell and Curtis Patrick. Uh, And it's for this reason that in 2018, I joined the Dynasty Command Center. I believe it was the end of 2017, they started the Dynasty Command Center. Uh, both of them together, a joint venture where they basically put together a Slack channel. And it was for Dynasty Minds to come in. You had to pay a subscription fee per month, but you got access to this Slack channel. And they had AMAs, they had experts in there, they had a ton of people in there. And the community just grew like a weed. And so once I got in there, you know, I was exposed to a whole new world of different Dynasty formats and different types of leagues and different ideas. And it just grew into just becoming a passion for me of you know what like this is something I'm really getting into I mean I was in 10 15 leagues at that point but it was never something where I was like oh my gosh I want to take this to the next level and so once I did that I started getting around other like-minded people and I just that's when I really fell in love with dynasty and the theory of it and the idea of trading and the idea of looking at future picks and evaluating players and evaluating data and all of that stuff and so you know, just spending so much time. That's my personality. As soon as I got into that Slack group, it was like, I'm there constantly getting the alerts on my phone. Whenever there would be a message, whenever there'd be a new thread, boom, I'm in there responding. And so after a while, I became the guy in the forums that was basically, you know, I pick up on things pretty quick. I was picking up on what a lot of other people were saying and going like, you know what, that makes sense to me. You know, let me just talk about that. I read it in another thread yesterday and I thought it was a good idea. Let me try it. So we ended up doing that, and after about nine months, you know, they asked me, they go, you know what, you want to come on as a moderator to the forum. And at that point, I was joining more leagues. At that point, I was starting to become a lot more active, and they asked me to come on as a moderator. So I just spent so much time in there uh, and thankful to them for the opportunity. And and then after a little while as a moderator, they created a content team, and that's when they launched a podcast. That's when they launched starting to put out some of their own proprietary products and services. And it was to the point where it's like, wow, you know what, like I'm actually dabbling in content creation now. And it was just like that. They just recognize, I guess, my ability to think through things, my ability to process and my ability to articulate kind of my ideas and advice to other people. And so they asked me to come onto the team 2018. At that point, I got my first experience doing podcasting creating other types of content, creating some written content. And at that time, uh, because Ryan McDowell uh, was affiliated with DLF, brought me on to DLF as a writer. And so there, that's like when my content creation mind really started buzzing. And I go, you know what? I I like public speaking. At the time, I was in a public speaking club. I'm still in a public speaking club that I run here in my local community, a Toastmasters club, if anyone's familiar with that. And I go, you know what? I like podcasting. I think I want to start a podcast. And boom, that's how Dynasty and Chill started. I researched how to make a podcast. And at first I thought, you need all of this fancy equipment. You need a studio. You need somebody that will edit for you and publish and know how to use music, graphics, and all of this kind of stuff. But I just basically thought, okay, I can figure out how to do this. And within a day, I had a podcast launched. And it's a little complex at first, but once you get the hang of it, it's really, really easy to get started and literally anybody can do it. So I encourage anybody that's thinking about making any sort of content, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a YouTube channel, TikTok, anything like that, just give it a try. You know, the worst you can do is put it out there and then be like, you know what, I I really don't want to do this full time or I really don't want to do this constantly because you got to stick at it. You can't make a podcast and then go, I'm not going to do it for you know, two months and then come back and do it again. You know, if you're going to do YouTube or TikTok, I mean, you got to do it all the time. You got to do it every day, constant consistency. That's what's winning in this space right now in terms of content creation. And with that, I launched my podcast. I had done some shorts on the Slack channel where I would record like a video on my phone and I would put it out there just like talking through something for five to 10 minutes and people enjoyed it. And there were people that said, you know what? It might be a good idea if you make a show or you make a podcast. So I did. And if anyone listened to the first 15-20 episodes of Dynasty and Chill, they were just me literally just talking through my thoughts, you know, talking through ADP, talking through rookie draft strategy, talking about positional groups. I mean, really mundane stuff that that I definitely wouldn't be putting out there today. You know, it's not the type of stuff that I like to do today, but it's also difficult to do a solo podcast all the time where you're just kind of talking through your own head. You know, you really have to have some direction with a podcast. Otherwise, he can get away from you. I mean, a lot of like-minded people that love this topic can just ramble and ramble and ramble. And so it was a little difficult. And I go, you know what? I don't want this show just to be a solo show of me talking and talking and talking. So quickly, Dynasty and Chill turned into an interview show where I basically find like-minded people to come on and we just talk Dynasty and we talk strategy and we talk about what we're seeing out there. You know, we had guests from portfolio players to Devy experts, to NFL draft experts, to salary cap people. I mean, people from all over the space coming on, but all of them had a link back to Dynasty. And I think that was the coolest thing, is in Dynasty, everything can be tied back in. And even if it's talking about the salary cap or NFL draft evaluation, all of it can be tied back to Dynasty in some capacity. So I always wanted to find guests that were Dynasty players. You may have an expertise somewhere else, but they understand Dynasty. And that's what I love. That's what Dynasty and Chill became. Uh, And quite honestly, I am so thankful for all of the friendships, all of the networking, all of the relationships that I formed with Dynasty and Chill and being able to have a brand behind myself and go, you know what, like I have a place where I can facilitate these conversations. And it's led me to here. You know, that is where I met Ray, Um, I I interacted with Ray. I'll tell this quick story, then I'll get on to this actual podcast, because I'm sure most of you are sick of hearing about kind of my background and how I got into this. Uh, But that's where I met Ray. I met Ray back in 2019. Uh, Ray actually, before, you know, Destination Devi existed, before a lot of the other stuff that Ray has done in this space even existed, he was on uh, a channel on YouTube, uh, the Fantasy Flock Network. Uh, Shout out to Mason Dodd and the Fantasy Flock Network. Uh, Ray was on there. I contributed over there for about a year at the same time when I was launching Dynasty and Chill. and Ray came on and started you know doing some of these videos with Mason and he was awesome. and he brought something that I hadn't really ever heard before. You know he was he was a Devi guy, but there wasn't a lot of people that were talking Devi at the time. There wasn't a lot of people that were really really into integrating that part uh, into their rookie scouting evaluation. And so Ray brought those two together. And of course, he's great on the mic. And I'm like, this guy's good. This guy's good. I go, Mason, where did you find this guy? And he kind of just told me, you know, a little background. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to have him on. So Ray, I believe, was on Dynasty and Chill the most of anybody. Five times. uh, I was on a podcast with Ray back in 2019 called The Dynasty Scope. Uh, I only did eight episodes of that. It was a second podcast that I started that I just didn't have the capacity to do. Uh, but Ray was on one of those, and then he was on Dynasty and Chill, and he came back. And every time Ray and I have chopped it up on a podcast, people are like, we want more. We want more. Like, you guys should have your own show. And so I'm like, you know what? This is, this is somebody that I respect. I want to follow. You know, we've become really good friends over the last couple years, and it, it's been something where, like, I've seen his brand grow to a point where I'm like, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. that. I know that's where I want to be. I can vibe with that. And everybody at the team is great. The future of Destination Devi uh, is in such good hands. There's so many good things coming down the pipeline. Uh, But I'm just excited to be a part of it. And I think it's one of those places where, you know, I can back it or I can be a part of it, but it's also because I believe in what Ray has put in place. I mean, I've seen Ray grow so much as a Dynasty player. To where a couple of years ago, I might have been like, you know what, I'm not sure if that's something that he's seeing or that's something that he's looking at. But he's turned into literally the most well rounded dynasty analyst uh, that I know. And so, I mean, I respect that. I respect somebody that's willing to listen and learn and evolve and go, you know what, maybe a year ago I wouldn't have thought this, but now uh, I'm thinking about it. You know, now I'm going to maybe change my tune a little bit. So props, like that's where I want to be. That's the type of people that I want to surround myself with. Somebody that's never thinking I have all the answers. It's like tomorrow something could happen that makes me totally change my approach. And with that, let's get right into it. So what is Destination Dynasty going to be? Uh, Well, definitely, like I said, it is not going to be a repeat of Dynasty and Chill. We're going to try to keep this show to an hour. I think an hour is great if we're doing a live stream where we're talking about questions that come in, from the audience or questions that come in from the viewers on the live stream but it also allows for some very directed discussion Uh, because i think that was one of the problems with a show like dynasty and chill is i could go for two three four hours and you would never run out of something to talk about and the reason for that is because in this space there is never a time where there's nothing to talk about it has become a 24-7, 365 game, just like the NFL, and it's not a shocker that Dynasty is basically the same thing. Dynasty just follows the NFL calendar. So there really is never like too much that you can put out there. So I want to keep the show to an hour. I want to try to get it you know, right on that pretty much every single week. Maybe go a little over if we're doing live streaming, but for the most part, it's not going to be some of the marathon episodes that you saw on Dynasty and Chelsea. I mean, we had some two and a half, three hour episodes on DNC, uh, and it's honestly like too much that I could have cut out, you know, to the point where it's like, I don't want to cut this down. I don't want to edit it. So this is going to be more directed. We're probably going to have shows that are more directed in terms of one or two topics per show, and I'm going to try to dial them in. And frankly, that'll be a growing point for me, uh, as that is one of my opportunities is going on and on and on on episodes and not really knowing a great stopping point and just push it to the next one. So that's going to be something that I'm going to need to dial in, but it's going to be an hour long, going to be more directed in terms of one or two topics. And then if we're doing a live stream, it's going to come basically right at you with questions, topics that come in a la carte discussions of whatever comes up. It's not going to have to be specifically on one topic where I'm only going to take questions like that. So there's going to be a lot of opportunities to interact, a lot of opportunities uh, to kind of get my direct feedback on stuff or bring up topics that maybe I haven't addressed before. But for the most part, if it's going to be a podcast, it's just going to be one or two topics. And then obviously during the season, things change so frequently, week to week, day by day, uh, that a lot of the topics are going to be general and they're going to be applicable to what's going on right now. But at the same time, they're not going to be things where it's like, let's just get on here and recap the week four games. Or let's get on and just go over you know, the results or something like that from this year or from this week. Like, we're not, That's not going to be the show that you're going to get here. That's not what I think I've been brought on to Destination Devi to do. Uh, that's definitely not the type of show that I want to do. And then finally, there will be some guests on the show. Uh, I will be the main host of the show, but I promise you there will be different guests. If I think there is a guest that is perfect for a topic, uh, I will have somebody on uh, to be the guest and to talk about that specific topic in a given week. It may be people from the DD team. It may be people from outside the DD team. Uh, It's fully up to my discretion, depending on what the topic might be. Uh, And I'm open to feedback. I'm open to suggestions on people you want to get on. I have a lot of connections of people that I've met through Dynasty and Chill and through the various places that I've worked at or contributed to. Uh, So I really don't have any qualms about bringing somebody on and getting their expertise. But what I want to do is I don't want this to be a show where I'm bringing a guest on to talk about their product or talk about you know something that they've come up with. What I really want to do is if they're going to do that, if I'm going to have somebody on and go, you know what, you have a model for something or you have a strategy for something. Let's integrate it to be applicable to everybody. You know, this is going to be a show where I want to teach. I want to impact the way that others play. This is going to be a show for players, for dynasty players that are trying to come up with ideas. I want people to leave these episodes and go, you know what, that is going to make me think about the way that I've been playing, or maybe think about a strategy that I can go back to all my leagues on Tuesday, once all of these games end, and maybe I can start tweaking some things. Maybe I can start prepping things in my portfolio for next year. You know, maybe I can think about adding some leagues and doing this or trying that. That's what I want people to walk away from this show and go, you know what? This is going to change the way that I play. These Some of these ideas are going to make me now think about playing a little bit differently or trying something differently or challenging what Scott's saying or challenging what Ray saying or challenging what others uh, on the DD feed are saying. I mean, we have so many great content creators at Destination Devi right now. I mean, a shout out to like Mike and Adam with 4D Chess. Like I listen to their show and they talk about things and I can tell that they are from their own personal experiences on the ground floor doing that stuff, seeing it work, seeing it not work. You know, Ray reminds me all the time, like, and I'll say I'm, I'm a cynic a lot of times when it comes to dynasty trading. And I'm like, you know what? No one is ever going to go for that. And he'll remind me like, it only takes one. And you have to send out the offers. You have to be the one that's trying. You can't just assume, oh, nobody's dumb enough to do that. Or there's no way somebody is going to go for that. It just takes one. You know, so if we're talking about odds. If we're talking about bets, and I phrase a lot of things in Dynasty in those terms, You, it's zero if you don't try. It's zero if you go, you know what, I know the market so well that I know it's not going to work. And ultimately, that's why we're all here. We are all here to become better players, to come up with ideas, to bounce things off of each other. And then go back and process it and say, you know what, this is what I'm going to take away from this. And almost all of my ideas in the Dynasty space have been generated from other ideas that I've listened to on podcasts, other ideas in places that I've read about somebody doing one thing or somebody experiencing another thing. Everything just kind of spawns off an idea that's already out there. Very, very few things are evergreen that they've never been talked about before. Like you're the first person to ever come up with it. And it doesn't matter, you know that that's how the sport is, that's how this game is. You're not, you know, recreating the wheel by doing something, but you might be bringing it back up at the perfect time, and it might work based on the current landscape of how things are right now in 2022 in today's NFL, you know, today's type of dynasty player, today's information world where the dynasty manager of today literally can't get enough information. So there is no information edge. So if you can leverage that by doing something that's against the grain, then perfect. I mean, that's why we're all here, to figure out ways to basically beat our opponents. You know, it's a psychology game. More than it is a, let's pick players. Let's see who scores points. A lot of that is random. You know, there's a lot of variants that we can't control for. But what we can control for a lot of times is our behavior and how we approach others and how we read other people and how we kind of figure out, you know, what's going on in my specific lead. Is this going to work? Is this not going to work? Is this the type of approach to take here? Or maybe I take it there and not here or here and not there. Like Those are all the things that I, I don't think gets talked enough in this space. Uh, and hopefully that's something that you take away from this show is going to be going back and just thinking about the game a little bit differently. And with that, after a short break, we will get into tonight's featured topic. We'll be looking at running back production through the first month of the season and how the narrative is starting to change and how it affects your roster construction on just some general strategy about the running back position. Uh, It's going to be a little bit eye opening. So looking forward to that and be back in about 30 seconds. back to the first episode of Destination Dynasty, and tonight we're going to talk about running back scoring through the first four weeks of the season. And keep in mind, I am recording this during the Sunday night football game between the Chiefs and the Buccaneers, uh, but for the most part, I've already counted for Clyde Edwards Hilaire's decent night. Uh, looks like he's going to be somebody that just has touchdown luck on his side this year, but I've counted for his results through tonight's games. And it's kind of eye opening. You know, one thing I've talked a lot about uh, on Twitter, uh, definitely in the Destination Debbie Discord, we've had a lot of great discussions on this. Uh, And Eric and I talked about this uh, on America's Game, a couple shows we did earlier in the offseason talking about Warp. Uh, We did an episode right before the start of the 2022 season. We went through and we set our first inaugural lineups for our dynasty teams. And that was one thing that stood out to me then. We even talked about it briefly on those shows, like getting access to some of the running backs that we wanted to just throw in there because we thought, well, maybe they're going to have a role. That was when we didn't know much about roles because we hadn't had any games yet. Uh, And through four weeks, some of the data has been eye-opening. So I want to share this. And I think it has totally changed my perspective, not just on team building, because I think for the most part, I have been building teams like this for a couple years now, and the results this year uh, have been really good thus far. A lot of my teams are doing very, very well this season, but I don't think I can attribute it specifically to just building teams a certain way. I think we are seeing a fundamental change uh, just at the running back position in general. I mean, Ray has talked about this for a couple years now, just going, the running backs are built differently now than they were even five years ago and then looking at how coaches are using multiple running backs looking at how teams are prioritizing passing on early downs you know what constitutes an elite running back or a bell-cow running back is just different than what it was 5 10 years ago and i don't want to say that it's not the same thing from like what the prototype looks like it's just a lot more rare you don't see it i mean you don't see guys anymore other than you know Derrick Henry pacing for what he was last year i mean you don't see guys having 390 400 400 plus touches like you might have seen 10 15 years ago. I think the days of guys getting 350 touches uh is lessening. Like you're not going to see that that often. And then the guys that do, you know, you see guys like Ezekiel Elliott that have done that a ton of times in his career. Look at Joe Mixon this year. I mean, Joe Mixon leads the league in touches. Uh, but he's not producing. You know, he's super inefficient. So, I think you see a lot of teams kind of going away from that, which which basically sways back towards for your running back to produce, it's going to be more about the type of touches they get, the efficiency that they get them at, the number of touchdowns, the score, the number of targets that they get, the number of receptions that they get. That's going to be more important. The efficiency is going to be more important uh, than it was maybe five, 10 years ago, especially with this 2017 class starting to age out. You know, you're talking about Kamara and Fournette and Mixon and Dalvin Cook and Christian McCaffrey and Kareem Hunt and Aaron Jones. Like It was a class just stock full of guys that we have valued as top 24 better running backs in Dynasty for a long, long time. And as they start to age out, we're kind of ushering in a new crop of running backs that are just built differently. And then you have new mindsets from coaches that they don't necessarily care about having a running back that can handle more than 50, 60% of the touches. They might handle more touches, but they're certainly not out there more than 65-70% of the snaps. I mean, the number of players that have played more than 70% of their team snaps at running back has fallen for the last three years. And I want to get in just the results through the first month, because I think it's staggering. And then we're going to talk a little bit about how this impacts roster building, how it impacts the current market, because we've seen a shift. Anybody that's playing Dynasty right now has seen a shift from running back dominance to wide receiver dominance. More than ever. Receivers are being coveted more than ever. Young receivers that are producing are being coveted more than ever. Young receivers that are producing are what is on winning teams. And I think that's the other thing is winning teams are going after young receivers that are producing. And they don't necessarily care about having some of the veteran receivers that are producing at the same level. They're going, I still want the young guys. So that has become the dominant currency and I think everybody that has a running back, and I feel this way, this has been my argument on the running backs for a while now, has been every time I have a running back that's getting a lot of touches or scoring a lot of points, I almost am sitting there going, like, man, I'm bucking the odds every week that I don't potentially shop this player and try to quote unquote sell them high, especially when I'm going to dive into this data that I'm going to look at right now through four weeks of the season. So let's just get into it. And I think it's important to establish a baseline before I start throwing out what's going on right now in the current NFL. And so I wrote an article for DLF. It's posted, uh, I believe it is the leverage article uh, back from April, where I talked about running back scoring for the last decade uh, and kind of what it looks like relative to uh, different slots. So basically, what does it look like as a RB1, RB2, basically in startable range? I'm going to assume for this discussion that a lot of people are playing in leagues where you have to start two running backs. And so looking at the top 24 running backs, just using a 12-team league, PPR scoring, you have to start two running backs as the baseline. Obviously, if you're in a point-per-carry league, I'm in a couple leagues where it's point-per-carry and you have to start three running backs. If you're in non-point-per-carry leagues, half-point PPR, where you only have to start one running back, obviously that's different. You're starting to get into factors of scarcity, uh, and the scoring is going to be inflated or deflated based on what would go in the flexes. So that's different. But if you're just talking about PPR... I think it's important to have a baseline. So it looks at over the past decade, uh, where are the running back distribution of finishes uh, relative to each other? So it kind of looks at, it's it's a chart. You can look it up. If you have a DLF subscription, you can look it up and you can kind of see the graph where it's a slope and it's similar to kind of looking at a warp graph. You can probably look at one of the warp graphs that we've talked about in the past, but you look at the distribution and you go, what does the curve look like? And it's important to establish what the median is to try to figure out, like, what is replacement level? What would be replacement level in my 12-team Superflex PPR Dynasty League? What would replacement level look like? And so I establish a baseline that replacement level, if you basically just look at the median average, so you're talking about uh, the cumulative scoring for the past 10 years at each slot, so you're looking at RB1, RB2, RB3, RB4, all the way down to RB24. And what is the median average of all of those ranges? So you take 10 years of data at each spot, and you determine what did each spot score in terms of points per game. So over the last decade, the RB1 overall scored around 24.6 points per game, all the way down to RB24, about 11.1 points per game. And you can see the difference. I mean, you can see the delta between each one of those. You can see the standard deviation between those slots. And so you have to kind of establish what a replacement value is going to be. Uh, Over the last decade, it's been about 14.3 points per game. So that's what I've used as the baseline. I've always used 14.3 points per game in PPR as replacement value or my replacement level. And that's been my target. When I'm building teams, I'm trying to target that at each one of my spots. Now, you can look at it and say, well, depending on how I build my team, I can get there in multiple ways. You know, I only have to start two running backs. Generally, if you're talking PPR, the dominant strategy, when I say dominant strategy, that is the majority of the time uh, what is optimal would be wide receivers in your flexes. We'll do a separate episode. That's one of the things I do on my Patreon channel uh, is DNC basics and go through just basic team building and talk about the wide receiver threshold and talk about basic team building strategies around wide receiver and how receivers are the dominant flexes. The numbers over the past decade support that wide receivers are the dominant strategy in the flex. So you have to look at that and say, okay, I'm going to focus my team build on wide receivers in the flexes, and then try to understand if it would be a running back, what am I looking for? So we'll get into that in a future episode, but just from the running back position, back to the fact that you have to start two, and you're establishing this baseline of replacement value being about 14.3 points per game. Now, you can get there in multiple ways. You know, part of the idea of the hero running back strategy, you hear that a lot, is essentially trying to get as many points out of your RB1 spot per game as possible. And the more you can get there, you can essentially punt that second spot. And even if you're getting only 20 points per game from your RB1, you can effectively end up only needing about eight points per game or so out of your RB2 spot on a weekly basis to get yourself back to baseline. And of course, when you talk about getting back to baseline, baseline is only an effective strategy if it can be leveraged by the fact that you are going after the positional advantages at the other spots. And I think that's the important part that we have to talk about with this team building concept. Everything I'm going to talk about in the next 20 to 25 minutes is going to all be based on the fact that you are focusing your equity on your team. If you're talking about just the value of your team, you are focusing for the most part, most of your equity on wide receivers and then also on positional advantages at quarterback and tight end. And I think we've seen that. J.J. Zacharisen has done a lot of good work talking about quarterbacks uh, and then also looking at tight end production. I mean, tight end production is something that is huge. If you can hit the warp numbers, and we did a great show talking about warp and how big of an advantage the tight ends are at the top, So if you can align a team where you're able to lock in the advantages at those spots, and you don't have to have like the top two or three quarterbacks, but if you end up with two of the top 12 quarterbacks or two of the top 10 quarterbacks, you can get to a point where you have it locked in from a standpoint of, now all you have to do is basically fill in the gaps at the running back position. All you have to do is get back to this baseline level, this 14.3 points per game in each spot. You let the other positions take care of whether you're going to win or lose on a weekly basis. It doesn't mean that you are always going to win. You're going to have spikes at your wide receiver spots. The more you can start, the more volatility that you can embrace. You know, you need a couple wide receivers to spike, and we kind of can define where those wide receiver spikes come from. Uh, we can look at the points per game scoring for receivers and kind of just look at the ranges uh, over this same period, and you go, "This is the type of receiver that I want to try to invest in." I've done many threads on this in the past. We're not going to get into it in this episode, but the idea is you're focusing on having enough receivers to be able to plug a certain level of receiver into all of your starting receiver spots and all of your flex spots at all times every single week during the year. This is assuming the tight end premium is not heavy enough to really factor in, nor is there any point per carry or anything like that. So basically you're looking at just a PPR format, even if it's 1.5 tight end premium, you are always wanting to fit one of these threshold receivers into every single spot that you can play them regardless of injuries and bye weeks, you always want to have enough. So however many numbers that means you need to carry on your team. So if you can start three receivers and two flexes, how many do you need to have going into the year, assuming you're going to have a couple guys get hurt, a couple guys disappoint where they don't produce in this range, but at least you have enough that can fit in those spots at all times. Same with the quarterbacks. You're assuming you're trying to fit in the best two quarterbacks that you can get, maybe with a little bit of an insurance policy at QB3, and then same with the tight ends. You know, how do I get a positional advantage at a tight end? Or how do I get a really strong platoon where I have two maybe top 12 tight ends and I'm just going to platoon them? And if you think about those three things in a vacuum and why this strategy then makes sense at running back, it allows you to limit the number of roster spots, right? If you have a 12-team super flex league, where you might have 30 roster spots, this allows you to limit your number of roster spots. You only need so many receivers. You know what you're going to need at quarterback. Maybe you have three quarterbacks. Tight ends, maybe you roster two or three tight ends, and that's it. You're done. You've established that these are where your consolidation strengths need to be on your team. All the other roster spots can go towards developing these running backs. And I think it makes even more sense now because the running back market has shifted. The running back market is depressed. A lot of people don't like running backs. You've probably noticed that in your leagues. Running backs are needed, but a lot of people are willing to move running backs. You can buy running backs if you're willing to spend picks. If you're willing to send things to people that make them feel a little more safe about the asset that they're getting, you can buy running backs. So let's get into the data. Um, We'll do deeper dives on team building and whatnot going forward, but let's get into this data and why it's starting to make sense even more and why it's actually going to be a really big challenge when we get into the 2023 rookie class, because there's going to be good running backs. There's not only going to be good running backs at the top, but there's going to be a lot of good ones. There's going to be a lot of guys going in the same ranges as the Brian Robinsons and Damian Pierce's of this year. There's going to be more guys next year that are in that same boat. So let's just look at it this year. So I already established that 14.3 points per game is the baseline historically for replacement value. And assuming you have to start two, you're targeting right around like that 28.6, between 28 and 29 points per game between your two running back spots. So I took all the running back performances this year, okay? And I took all the running back performances this year that are over 15 points in a given week. So there's only been four weeks. Uh, thus far this year, there have been 55 running back performances that are above that 15 points per game. So let's just assume that if you're talking about above 15 points per game, we're trying to look at what type of performances are going to give you that hero RB impact on your team. So at least 15 points per game. So 55 of those games have been had already through four weeks of the NFL season. Now, here's the crazy thing. Of those 55, 27 of them have been done by running backs, and I'm using the DLF ADP from September. So it's going to be adjusted once we get to October. You can probably use another source of ADP, and the numbers might change a little bit. But let's just call it half. It's almost half of those performances have come from players that are outside of that top 24. And you know the names. I mean, you know the names that I'll read off to you. So guys like Khalil Herbert, Rashad Penny, Miles Sanders, Jamal Williams, Devin Singletary, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Cordero Patterson, Kareem Hunt, James Robinson, Antonio Gibson, Tony Pollard, Ramondre Stevenson, Michael Carter, Damian Harris, Chase Edmonds, Melvin Gordon. A lot of those guys have been on there twice. And so you see all those players being outside of the top 24 in Dynasty ADP or Dynasty value. And they're actually occupying those slots that you could say, all right, that could be my quote-unquote hero RB for the week. Now, obviously, you don't want to have a 15-point-per-game running back in your hero RB spot because it basically needs, you need another 13, 14 points per game in your other RB spot. You essentially need two of them to achieve that goal of getting to that 28 points per game or the 28 to 29 points per game that I talked about being replacement value. But it's just interesting because half of the running back starts that have gotten you 15 or more points per game have come from these guys that are outside of that top 24 in dynasty value at the running back position. Now, let's look at the games that are above the 28 points per game, okay? So we're talking about games that have been more than 28 or 28 or more points per game. That would essentially be the ultimate hero RB game, where you get one of those games, they are in your lineup, they have scored enough to cover what you need to be replacement level or replacement value in your given week in both of your spots. And they've done it in one spot. So thus far this year, there have been eight games like that. Four of them have come from players that are outside of the top 24. So Rashad Penny, Miles Sanders, Khalil Herbert, Josh Jacobs. Now, this is cherry picking a little bit. I acknowledge that. That's one of the things that people point out to me all the time is you know, you're cherry picking some of this data. It's after the fact. But I think this is what's missed with this strategy. This is what Eric and I talked about on the last podcast. And I said, I would expand a little bit more uh, talking about this data on here. One of the biggest complaints is someone goes, all right, Khalil Herbert, no one had Khalil Herbert in their lineup. Probably true. If we go back and look at the start rates of Khalil Herbert last week when he posted that game, you know, he got a lot of that opportunity after David Montgomery got injured. You can't really predict that. However, the other starts, Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, Rashad Penny, uh, a lot of the other games, I didn't even talk about the games that were above 20 points per game. So let's do that real quick, just so everyone has some context. Games above 20 points per game. Okay, so we're not talking about 28 or more. We're talking about 20. If you can get 20 points from a running back in a given week, you're well on your way to hitting that replacement level value. It is not that hard to find a running back that can get you eight points. That's fairly projectable. Across the league, if you're just looking at a guy that you need to get two or three catches and they're there, they're going to get you eight points in PPR, you know, I think that's where you're able to easily get that production. So let's use 20 points. So 20 points per game thus far this year. We've had 26 games at 20 points per game or more. And if we're just using between 20 and 28, so excluding those high end games that I talked about, right? So if you're just using that range of those games, So between 20 and 28 points per game, we have a total of 17 of those games. Between 20 and 28 points per game. And here's the names that have done it. Jamal Williams, Devin Singletary, Jamal Williams, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Kareem Hunt, Cordero Patterson, Cordero Patterson, Dontrell Hilliard, James Robinson. So right there, of those 17, I just named off another 9 that were in that mix. So again, more than 50% of them are from players that are outside of that top 24 in ADP. And here's one of the reasons that I think this is interesting information, because other than injuries, where one of these top 24 running backs was ruled out, I bet you if we went through and looked at sit start data, even in just like redraft leagues, where it's just PPR scoring, and you look at sit start data, a lot of the players that were started at a massively high rate in leagues, who were they? They were probably a lot of the highly valued dynasty running backs that made up those top 24 in ADP. Now, some of them will be excluded. Obviously, people weren't necessarily starting like Brees Hall in week one. A lot of people might not have been starting guys, you know, that were young, like Ken Walker wasn't in any lineups, you know, so there's ADP and dynasty uh, and sit start rates and redraft don't perfectly align, but you get the point. And this is one of the biggest flaws, I think, in team building is just understanding. I'm giving you this data just to say that through four weeks, more than half of the running back performances that are above replacement value are coming from outside of the top 24 in Dynasty ADP. Then you go even further. If you're looking at some of the 20 plus point per game performances, you're still looking at ones that you would quote unquote say are my hero RB, guys that are 20 plus points per game and they're giving you pretty much the hero slot. Half of those are, again, coming from outside of the top 24. And then you look at, you know, how many performances there are between just 10 and 14 points per game, right? So that is essentially the second half of what you need to achieve if you're taking this strategy. Thus far, there have been, through four weeks, there have been another 47 of those performances. So again, they're not that hard to find. And a lot of the games between 10 and 14 points per game are coming from the 30% running backs that we're talking about. They're coming from guys like Kenneth Gainwell, guys like Naheem Hines, J.D. McKissick, Daryl Henderson, Raheem Mostert, Samaj P. Ryan Alexander Madison, Khalil Herbert is on there, when David Montgomery was playing. So you get a lot of these games where you go, all I need to do, is identify players that are getting some touches and if they can just get me to that 10 points per game or so in that RB2 spot it accomplishes me getting pretty close to that replacement value if i can just plug in a running back that's going to give me a 15 point per game or more and that's essentially the formula is identifying this type of build and just bringing it down to this level and go this is all i need to shoot for if i've built my roster around receivers quarterbacks tight ends, minimizing the number of roster spots that I use on those players, and really maximizing the number of shots that I have on my given roster at some of these other weeks. And I think that's the biggest thing. And that is the biggest flaw that I hear from people when I talk about these numbers is they go, yeah, you're giving me all these numbers, you're telling me that you can get, you know, 15 or more points per game from running backs that are outside of this range, And the problem is a lot of those guys weren't in my starting lineup. And I think that's the crux of this strategy. That is the crux of what it leads into the last 15 minutes or so of this discussion is the current running back value versus the current running back production. And I already just went through the numbers. Like, You are not getting a lot of these massive games from some of the high-end running backs. Now, a lot of the high-end running backs have put up some of these massive games. There's no doubt Like, they're going to be the favorites on a weekly basis to do it. But I think one of the things we miss is the access to some of these second tier running backs. And mostly, if you look at the list, if you just go through and look at all of the production through the first four weeks and you look at the highest running back scoring games, go through and look at the names and just see if you can spot some trends. I mean, very rarely, especially early on in the year when we haven't had any bye weeks, we haven't had a ton of injuries you're not going to see as many just random running backs pop up. You know, guys that were RB90 in ADP are going to pop up and post an RB2 game. Like, most likely that's not going to happen until later on in the year. But as there are more injuries, you know, as there are more players that pop up on the radar, you're going to see more running backs enter this mix. But even early on, I think the first four weeks is a great sample size to look at because that's generally when there should be the most players available you know there's less bye weeks or there's no bye weeks there's less injuries most of the players should be available to those managers that have them on their dynasty teams here's the problem if you are just jamming in some of these running backs that were definitely top 24 running backs coming into the season if all you've been doing is just jamming in your starting lineup and you go well you know i have to play these guys cuz i know they're going to get a lot of touches that's where you've been hurting yourself that's where the war data or the warp data comes in and you look at and you go man You know, it definitely has hurt me if I'm starting these guys every single week for that exact reason. I mean, let's put some names to points. If you're just talking about points per game production for this year, I mean, Aaron Jones, 15.7 points per game. Go down a little further. Joe Mixon, 14.2 points per game go down a little bit further than that leonard fournette 12.4 points per game derrick henry 16.2 points per game dalvin cook i know he left a game early and that impacted him a little bit 11.4 points per game Najee harris i know he's been a little banged up but Najee harris 11.2 points per game jonathan taylor even left today's game hurt but only 12.6 points per game so you get the theme Like, you don't have a lot of running backs that were valued highly in ADP that are smashing. Now, part of that could just be the landscape. We have a lot of older running backs in here. We have a lot of older running backs that are being relied on as every week starters, and I get that. But if you even just look at the median average of running back scoring in general, I talked about this uh, on the last America's Game Pod. Running back scoring in 2021 was the lowest that it's been in a couple years. It's actually the lowest aggregate season that we had seen uh, since Devontae Freeman's RB1 season uh, back in 2015. And so now you look at that and you go, well, it can't get worse, right? Then you look at this year, it actually is. The median average, the same way I calculated over the last decade at 14.3 points per game, it's 12.9 points per game this year. So not only is the high-end running back production coming down, we only have two guys Over 21 points per game this year, and then only one other over 18, which is Austin Eckler. So you have Barkley Chubb and Austin Eckler are the only guys over 18 points per game this year. So not only is that down at the top end, right? So in theory, your hero running backs are less frequent and less impactful, but the median average, curiously, uh, the same 14.3 number that I mentioned before, uh, is actually up. Meaning it's up about 3.1% from 14.31 over the past decade to 14.75 this year. So with the hero RBs or the high end running back production lower, uh, the median average 3% higher, uh, and then actually in 2022, the RB 24 numbers. So we're talking about like the very, very bottom range of right where your kind of throw in running back production is going to come in from a weekly basis. Uh, That's actually up 11.3% from the past decade. So picture this as the squeeze is being put on uh, from both the bottom and from the top, and it's squeezing the middle, and the middle is actually a little bit more robust uh, than it's been. So just think about that. It basically means, in layman's terms, the consolidation of the position is being squeezed almost all the way into the middle, meaning everything is coming back to the median which tells me everything is coming back to the replacement value or that replacement level uh, that I've been talking about. And it goes back to what I just talked about a couple minutes ago. How do you get access to that based on the current running back market? So let's focus on that uh, as we end the episode. I've kind of already outlined the fact that the high-end running back scoring is down. The bottom end of the running back range, so you're talking about RB24 range, is up. And the median is up, which means everything is just getting packed closer together. All the running backs are being packed closer together. And that makes sense with what I was talking about. With the lower snap counts, with the split usage, you have teams that are running 60, 30, 10 backfields now. You have teams that are essentially running like 60, 40 or 55, 45 type backfields. And both of those guys are viable. Really, whether they're both viable or one is viable or none is viable, a lot of that comes down to just the efficiency of the offense in general. But what it tells me is that the access to those guys is important. It's hard to guess. And that's one of the biggest complaints that there's been is, I don't know when to play these guys. But at the same time, you have a market where everybody is chasing those high, high high-end running back production players, right? Everybody is chasing those running backs that are absolutely smashing. But even if you hit on one of them, the level of the smash, so take, for instance, Nick Chubb or Saquon Barkley, is lower than what it has been historically. So it means less. Their warp is less their war is less. Now, it doesn't mean it's not impactful relative to the position. But if you look at the market price, it kind of just tells me I'm willing to bet against it because it's less frequent and less impactful, right? So I think that's where we can we can come away from this and say, all right, this is how I'm going to focus on kind of remodeling some of my team. So how is this actionable? Like if you've already built teams that have a ton of running backs on them, uh, you can get yourself in trouble in two different ways. One, you can go after a couple hero running backs and they don't end up being hero running backs. And what you get yourself into is a situation where you're still probably starting those guys every single week, but they're also killing you at the same time. So you're actually kind of doubling down on your mistake by continuing to jam those guys in because it does make sense to start, you know, Joe Mixon over Damian Harris in a given week. They're basically the same thing, but Joe Mixon's going to probably get more touches, more targets, and he's on a better team. So it would make sense to start Joe Mixon over Damian Harris every single week, but the difference between the two is minimal, except for the market value difference between the two is a lot. And you're also doubling down by the fact that if you have both of them on a roster, you're probably never starting Damian Harris, which means you are going to miss out on any of those games where Damian Harris spikes into that you know, above replacement level value. You're going to definitely miss out on any of the games, maybe the one or two games a year where Damian Harris has his hero RB game, right? Where he posts 24, 25 points per game. And again, we're not talking best ball here. We're talking lineup, which means you have to make lineup decisions. And that's the biggest complaint that I see from people is I built my team this way, but I never get to play those running backs that come from kind of this outside the dead zone range or outside of that RB six to RB 24 range, right? I never get to play those guys in my lineup because I'm always starting the Joe Mixons and the Dalvin Cooks over them. And I think that's where this strategy comes into play. And it takes us to a market value discussion of, and I mean it when I say in our discord, like if I can build my teams and I can shift my running back builds towards this, I want to liquidate as much of my roster value out of these running back ranges as I can. And I want to be able to do that fluidly over the course of the year, ideally over the course of the offseason. So I go into the season with the ability to roster as many running backs as possible with the hopes that those guys get to places where they are at least viable weekly options to maybe give me one of those replacement level value starts. So think of a guy like Michael Carter, for instance, right? Like I wanted to have a guy like Michael Carter on my team at cost before he got to that cost. And I'd want to be able to hold him on one of those roster spots and never be at a place where it's like, well, I have to cut him or well, I have to trade him away because I don't have enough roster spots. So it's being able to manage that. And then you go down a little bit further. A guy like Samaj P. Ryan is a perfect example. Like Samaj P. Ryan is a guy probably not in a lineup when he spiked in week three, but you also have him on the bench just in case there's ever an opportunity because you know when to play him, right? Like that's the type of player where you know when to put in your lineup when you think he can get touches. And it's pretty simple. There's a lot of players like that. Those are the ones that are outside of that range that are generally fitting in one of those RB2 slots whenever you know when to play him. So that's where you take this away and you say, all right, what is my total equity build up in the running back rooms on my teams? And you probably need more as the season goes on, just because we do have more bye weeks and we do have injuries. But just think about your dynasty team as a bank account that has $10,000 in it. And you look at that and you go, well, where is it allocated? Let's say you have $10,000, but you have it in four different sets of bills. Okay, so you have 10s, 20s, 50s, and 100s. And you're kind of looking at like each position as being one of those types of bills. You know, I probably do not want to have a lot of 10s. But if I have 10s, I want them to be all concentrated at running back. Everything else, I pretty much want to be in the form of the 50s or the 100s. And I really want to eliminate, you know, how many 20s I have. I maybe don't want any at all. I want a couple 20s, mostly 10s, and then all my other positions. So my quarterbacks and my tight ends, I want those definitely to be 50s or 100s. My wide receivers, I want them all to be at least 50s and some 100s. And that's how I want to make up my 10 grand. I really don't want to have a ton of $10 bills laying around, but I want to have just enough to be able to get me by and hopefully get me through my spot starts at running back as many times as possible without having to dip into my other assets or without having to dip into my draft picks to make trades. So think about that. Just think about it in a very broad sense. We don't have time to go through like the full theory and breaking down each one of your positions and optimal roster construction, but just think about your rosters, go through Eyeball it and say, all right, I'm looking at this team, it has 30 roster spots. How much of my equity? And you can even use like Dynasty Ranker for this or the Dynasty Nerds GM tool. There's a lot of places out there that'll kind of give you like a baseline number of your strength and weaknesses at each position. How much of your equity do you actually want to capture in terms of dynasty value at your running back position? And I'm sitting here going like I I pretty much want it to be the lowest common denominator. I want to be able to have teams where I go, all right, I'm making a bet on this one or two hero running backs, and that's it. Preferably just one. Then I want to have enough guys in that sweet spot range to start the season where I have the Chase Edmonds, and I have the Ramondre Stevenson, and I have the Michael Carter. like Those guys where I go, you know what? These guys are good players. They're probably top 50, top 60 dynasty running backs at the very lowest, and I have those guys to start the year, and I can take advantage of the fact that I now have a roster designed to allow me to play those guys more frequently. Now, not every team you're going to be able to pick which one of those you want to play. We got into that on America's Game the other day about how, you know, I have some teams where I didn't go the hero running back approach, and I have essentially all, like, these RB3s and RB4s, and I'm still trying to pick two or three every single week to play, mostly just two, and good luck, because I have to pick between two out of eight And I'm going, well, which running back between these guys is going to spike? And part of the idea is if it's not best ball, you still have to make that decision. it's just as hard of a decision as picking those guys over, you know, the Joe Mixons or the Dalvin Cooks. Like you're going to get it wrong more often than not, regardless. So you want to set yourself up for success when you're setting your lineups and building your teams this way. So I'm looking at it like this. How do I liquidate as many running backs as possible, down to the lowest common denominator that allows me to still set a lineup week to week that I think has a shot to hit that 28 points per game replacement value at the running back position. And sometimes that means you have to supplement some of your value at running back and shift it to other places. So can I use a running back to get a draft pick? So then I can use an extra draft pick to upgrade at wide receiver. Then I wait until I actually need running backs later on in the year. That's when I'm willing to buy. And I think that's one of the biggest flaws that people have with this strategy is they actually go into the season thinking, I need to have my opening day roster set at the running back position. And it's not true. You know, we've seen this kind of depleted market at running backs now, where if you ever wanted to go out and buy some of these guys like Jamal Williams this week, available for a second round pick in a ton of leagues, a lot of people didn't want to pay the second round pick because, well... They don't necessarily need him in their lineup. I mean, I had somebody flat out tell me I would have spent a second, but it's too early on in the year. And I can't argue with that logic, but literally that person probably went and set their lineup and they go, well, I have at least one running back I know is better than Jamal Williams. Obviously he wasn't because Jamal Williams is one of the best running backs in the league this week, but he probably had an option where he goes, I have a starter stud running back. This is my hero running back. And then I also have Devin Singletary, or I have Chase Edmonds or Tony Pollard? Why would I give up a second for Jamal Williams just to put him in over that guy? And I think that's what prohibits a lot of these trades. But I think the point is he was available for a second. Had you needed it, had you had unfortunate injuries at the wrong spot, had you needed to go buy him, he would have been available. Or a like type player would have been available in your league. And that is the current running back market. It is a pure buyer's market. At that level, which makes even more sense to not worry about having all of these right guys that are hitting right away. Look at James Robinson. James Robinson's a guy you could go out and buy. Can you necessarily buy him for one single second? Maybe, maybe not. But he's attainable. He's attainable on a lot of rosters because the person is probably a motivated seller for maybe this same reason. Maybe they have too many running backs and they're going, well, I don't need all eight of them. I hit on an extra Khalil Herbert and an extra James Robinson. Let me cash one out for a second round pick. And I'll bank those assets later on for the future. So I think it's becoming this buyer's market that you can take advantage of. And I think we're shifting away from the mindset of needing to have these stud running backs because I think the market is becoming smarter and understanding how volatile they are. And the data backs that up. Again, the hero RB production and the overall RB production at the top is down uh, and the median production is a little bit up, which means everything is just jammed closer together. It's becoming more random. You're able to find this replacement level value at running back easier and you have to set yourself up to get access to those guys in your lineup when you have to put them in. So last thing, what does that mean for the future of the running back position? Well, here's what I would say. It makes me more comfortable cashing out on the high-end running backs, the guys that we are holding this massive dynasty value on. Because think about it, we are overvaluing guys like Javante Williams or guys like Brees Hall, and it's not because they're not good. But if you're just looking at the way things are trending, it's going to be very hard for them to hit these massive hero RB averages that we expect. So basically, if you had a graph that assigned where their value was, a lot of it is going to be in the fact, well, they're young. They don't have a lot of mileage under them. But that's not how I really want to play, given that it's a buyer's market. Why do I want to invest in a guy like Javante Williams or even a guy like Brees Hall? Like, If you want to invest in Brees Hall, that is a big bet. He is your hero RB for the next two or three years, and he better act as a hero RB. That's the bet you're making if you take him in the second round of a startup draft. So I think we're, we're at a point where if you can liquidate One of these running backs, if you can liquidate Jonathan Taylor and get three firsts worth of value, forget about the fact that he got injured today, forget about that. If you can just get three firsts of value, think about all the opportunities that you can now use that capital, move it to another spot on your roster, you know, buy an extra receiver, upgrade at tight end, upgrade at quarterback. And then there's so many opportunities to backfill that production with points. And we've already seen, you know, where you can get access for that. It's a buyer's market to do it. And the difference is between those guys and some of the guys that we're valuing as the high-end hero running backs isn't that difference. In fact, the difference is closer together than it's ever been over the last decade. So that's where my mind's going. Uh, This is a tough thing for me to wrap my head around because I have so many leagues, and I really want to go through and try to achieve this in as many leagues as possible. But it's really getting into the discussion of where is the future of running back value going to go? We're already seeing it running backs on the open market are falling. And it's not just because the high-end running backs aren't as valuable as they should be, but as more people take this approach, guess what's happening? More people are hesitant to pay that price for a running back. So sure, there might be one random league where you can get somebody to pay that price, but for the most part, if you go out and try to shop one of these running backs for what you think their market price could be, or more importantly, what you think their hero RB price should be, you're not getting it. People don't want to give up the currency that's dominating. People don't want to give up the draft picks. People don't want to give up the wide receivers. People don't want to give up the elite quarterbacks. People don't want to give up the elite tight ends. So you have to kind of go backwards. You can't just trade running backs for those guys. You've got to probably liquidate your running backs, reallocate your assets towards those places, and then worry about a backfilling the running backs cheaper and in different ways, and maybe in the future rookie drafts going forward. So it'll be fascinating to see where this market trend goes Because like 2017, and then like 2020, anybody that remembers the rookie drafts in both of those years, they were running back heavy. Now, I don't think the community is going to treat 2023 the same way. Sure, we're going to have good running back prospects, but that is going to be an antagonist to the fact that the market is going to be extremely heavy at wide receiver, extremely heavy at the elite quarterbacks, and extremely heavy in terms of using the draft picks to leverage that market value at other places. So there's going to be a lot of people that are holding 2023 rookie picks and going, well, I don't like the idea of investing in running backs because really I only have one out with a running back. And that's going to be, hopefully this running back fits into my build on my team with my running backs, right? So that's where I'm going to be focusing my rookie picks on. If I'm taking running backs, it's going to be so they fit my build I'm not investing in a running back any further because I think that running back is just going to be the highest market value piece. And it's not just what can I get for it, but are there people that are actually wanting to buy this player? And you're starting to see, you know, if you've tried to shop running backs in your league, it's not just you can't get a high price. There's a lot of people that just don't want them. And maybe that's different. Maybe I'm in an echo chamber with a lot of my leagues, but generally I'm seeing that sentiment. And it's just harder to move these running backs at what you think their hero RB impact could be to your roster. So we'll end it there. Uh, This is going to be definitely a show that I want to follow up on, maybe have a couple guests. There's a lot of people out there that are doing great content on this, and I think this is going to be one of the premier topics that is going to be trending over the next six to nine months in Dynasty. Once we get through this season, once we get into the offseason, and once we get into the 2023 rookie draft, this is going to be a major, major conundrum for a lot of people. That are taking this strategy, but they go, man, the best thing I can do probably with my rookie pick in terms of player talent wise, or player profile wise is going to be drafting a running back, but that's going to go against the green as to what the current market says. So this is why I started this show off. This has been the biggest game changer for me, not just because I was into this type of strategy for the last couple of years but because it is shifting even faster than what I thought. Frankly, I thought it would take longer for this to happen, but it's already happening. People are starting to catch on. They're understanding the current running back usage versus production versus market value in today's game, and they're adjusting. They're adjusting fast. So where do we go? Uh, Hopefully you can take away some lessons from this. Uh, Check out some of the data that's posted. There's a ton of sites uh, that post this data that you can look at. uh, And check out that DLF article that I wrote back in April that really lays out what the last decade looks like uh, on how it might compare to this year if you start looking at some of the data through the first four weeks. With that, I will go ahead and sign off. Again, thank you everybody at the Destination Devi team. Thank you, Ray. Thank you for bringing me on, giving me the opportunity. I'm super excited to get this show launched. Uh, Check out the Destination Devi newsletter. It is at Allgas.beehive B-E-E-H-I-I-V dot backslash subscribe. Check that out. The newsletter has all the content creators at Destination Devi included. It's well worth your time. Enter your email. You'll be able to get a free subscription once a week. And check out all the great content before every single weekend uh, of football that comes up next on your calendar. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Charles Chill FFB. All my other work is linked there. Uh, And I'm looking forward to many, many more episodes of Destination Dynasty, where we're going to dive into a ton more topics. Uh, Definitely, we'll be getting the live streams going uh, sometime here in the next couple weeks. I want to do some live streams, maybe even outside of recording these episodes on a weekly basis. I definitely want to interact with more people, interact with the DD family over there. Uh, So be on the lookout for live streams on YouTube, along with the weekly episode here on Destination Dynasty. With that, I will go ahead and sign off. Be chill, everyone.